Good morning. It's good to see you, church. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, I know we have a lot of folks out with either sickness or traveling uh, with Memorial Day weekend, and so if you're joining us online, we welcome you, or if you're listening to this later in the week, I'm glad you can join us this way, but we also want you to know we miss you. Like, we miss seeing your face and miss having you here present in the room. It's not the same, and so um, just wanted to welcome those who aren't here with us today. Um, if you're visiting with us here today, especially glad to have you. Um, just consider it an honor that you would trust us with your time, and so our prayer for you is that um, you would meet with God today. Um, more than that, that you would see that he's actually here to meet with you and uh, to meet you wherever you are um, in the midst of whatever you're going through, whatever struggles you may have brought into this place, whatever um, fears or doubts you may have brought into this place. God is here and he's ready to meet with you. And our prayer is that God would speak to you, you would hear, um, and he would just do a powerful work in our lives today through his word, through his spirit. Uh, we have officially now read through the whole book of Jonah together. Uh, chapter 4 ends the book of Jonah, and so when Daniel read the end of verse 11, we've read it all out loud together. Um, and so what we're going to do next week is we're going to start the book of Ephesians, and this summer we're going to go through the book of Ephesians together. Yeah, so uh, I'll be preaching that with, uh, yeah, yeah well, wait, wait till the end, see if you want to, no, uh, I'll be preaching that with Jeremy and Blake, um, our student pastor and our kids pastor will both be helping with that series throughout the summer. And that'll take us all the way to September, so that's our plan after today. Um, I really appreciate what Jeremy had to say earlier just about Memorial Day and reminding us of, the, of that. If we're not careful, we'll blow right through this weekend, and it'll just be a, a, an extended weekend, a time for hot dogs, burgers, and pool time, and we'll completely forget um, why we have a day off, and that is just to stop and to think about those who have given their lives sacrificially um, on our behalf, people we've never met, people you've never met, um, maybe some of you have, maybe you have family members who've given their lives, so we want to stop and acknowledge that, let the heaviness of that sit on us for a minute, um, but then we also have the, the Uvalde school shooting um, that, that's heavy on our hearts as well, and, um, and really just wanted to like think about that as we step into um, Jonah chapter 4, you know, for us, something like that hits the news um, it, it's devastating, it's out of the ordinary, it, um, it catches us off guard. But to fully kind of understand the gravity of the story of Jonah, we have to understand that in Assyria, especially in Nineveh, that was regular. That would have been normal. That kind of massacre, that kind of bloodshed, that kind of evil um, ran rampant through Assyria. They were known for that kind of violence towards the innocent. And so that, that kind of fills the room with some gravity when we begin to think about wait a second, God called one of his prophets to go to this, this place and, and not to like soft sell the gospel, but to come in preaching, guns blazing. Hey guys, you're about to be devastated in 40 days. God is gonna overturn your city kind of thing. And we can begin to understand some of like Jonah's hesitation, some of his fear, even though it led to disobedience. Like that's what he was stepping into. Like he was stepping into an environment, into a city, into a culture where that kind of violence was celebrated, was, was normal, commonplace. And so we can begin to understand a little bit more of the story. Uh, in Jonah chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 together. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That, that is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love 
and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? So last week, uh, Jeremy Williams preached chapter 3, and we saw that the Lord called Jonah a second time, which was miraculous in and of itself, right? That God would come back to Jonah and give him another shot at this, and he does. And so Jonah goes uh, to Nineveh, and it was a big city. It took like three days just to walk across the city. And so Jonah walks through the city preaching. Now, it's interesting, though, when you look at the message he was preaching, it wasn't really this soft invitation, hey, come know the kindness of the Lord. It was, it was a declaration of the Lord's justice, that in 40 days, the Lord was going to punish um, the inhabitants of Nineveh. And we saw then this great fear just kind of sweep over Nineveh. And the people began to like to fast and to change their clothes out for clothes of sackcloth, uncomfortable, these, these clothes that, that just kind of brought a sense of humility. And even the king steps down from his throne and, and in humility, the whole city repents. And the Lord does what? He relents. He gives grace, he gives mercy, he gives compassion. And so this is what Jonah is talking about here. When we read that it displeased Jonah exceedingly, what displeased him? It was the Lord's grace and mercy and kindness towards Nineveh. That displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And so the first three chapters of Jonah, we get a lot of record of what Jonah did or didn't do now we're getting his words we're getting what's coming out of his mouth and Jesus tells us in Luke six forty five that out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so we can't just say words that don't mean anything they're they're connected to things going on in our in our heart here and so we're looking at this situation and Jonah's mad he's angry as a matter of fact the the, the displeased exceedingly word that's the Hebrew word raw um, it was used in, in chapter 1 to describe the exceeding uh, evil and violence of the Ninevites. It's going to be used later to describe Jonah's discomfort when the sun comes out and just kind of scorches the plant. So this is a really hard, raw word that, that describes this, this, this level of like evil and disaster and, and discomfort. And, and so we read that Jonah was so bothered that the same word that described Nineveh and their evil is describing his heart right here. That's a big deal. God's looking at Jonah's heart. He sees this, and what's coming out of his mouth is this overflow of somebody who is just like violent on the inside. He's exceedingly displeased, and he was angry. So what displeased Jonah and made him angry? We learn a lot about his heart here uh, in this passage, and ultimately it was that the Lord relented. It was that the Lord relented uh, in, uh, in not punishing the Ninevites. That's what, that's what upset him. And we don't know fully what's behind that. Could there have been some, like, some, some racism here? Some will preach that into the text, maybe. Maybe he was just prejudiced towards the Assyrians. Um, could it be something else? Could it be the fact that he was really scared to go back to his homeland and the people are like, hey, how'd it go in Nineveh? And he's like, it was really awesome. God forgave him. Like, that was probably part of it too because he was well-liked among his people. So we don't fully know kind of what's behind it, but ultimately it really, really upset him that God did not punish the Ninevites. Instead, he poured out kindness and mercy and compassion. 
But we also see here that Jonah says, uh, I think it's in verse 2, he says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? I I knew you were going to do something like this, God. Like, he's not only upset that God did it, he's upset because he knew that that was the kind of God that he was dealing with. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. So that original fleeing was he knew that if he went to Nineveh and preached, A, he could have been killed, tortured. B, he would have been unpopular among his people. But C, there was a chance that God would be kind to them. Like, that's what he's saying here. I knew that's the kind of God you were. That's why I ran from you, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Now, if those words sound familiar, um, they should. That is the primary way God's character is described in the Old Testament, And we tend to think of the Old Testament, that's where we get the mean side of God. The New Testament, we get the kind side of God. But God's character described in the Old Testament over and over and over again was that he was merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and slow to anger. As a matter of fact, we get hints of this character from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2 and 3, we walked through that recently, and you can see that kind of God creating and interacting and showing up to do relationship with Adam and Eve and and even meeting them with kindness and their rebellion disobedience and hiding and lying and blaming and all that mess but it's not until we get to Exodus 33 that that's the first place in your Bible that God's character is explicitly described God is like this fill in the blank before that we see his character and we can we can kind of deduce that from what's happening go man god is a kind god he's slow to anger i mean look at what he adam and eve look at how he's dealing with abraham look at how he's dealing with the nation of israel he's he's got to be slow to anger but here's what happens so moses comes down from the mountain mount sinai with the tablets and what does he find the people of god doing he left they were worshiping yahweh who were they worshiping when he came back came back down there was this golden calf remember that incident Moses breaks the stone tablets okay so in Exodus 33 just listen to this is the the first description of God's character in your Bible Exodus 33 verse 17 and the Lord said to Moses the very thing you have spoken I will do for you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, Moses, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You hear the kindness of the Lord there? Moses, I want to show up with you and I want to show myself to you. But if I just show up unshielded, it's going to kill you. 
but I want you to see me, so I'm going to find you a place to tuck you in. I'm going to shield you with my hand as I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is God's response after the worship of the golden calf, the breaking of the tablets, and Moses is like, oh, please, God, don't snuff us out right here. Like, please, God, just have mercy on us. And God said, I'll have mercy on you. I'll have mercy on you. And then the very next chapter, Exodus 34, 6, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, listen to this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. That's the God who passed by Moses. That's the God who created Adam and Eve and showed up with them. That's the God we're reading about here in Jonah. And so he's quoting the first description of God's character in our Bible. This is the way Joel describes him in Joel 2.13. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And he relents over disaster. Does that sound familiar? Nehemiah describes him this way, Nehemiah 9, 17, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Multiple psalms describe God this way. Here's two of them, Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Psalm 145, 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Jonah knew that about God. That's why he ran. That's why he cried out to him in chapter 2. That's why God relented in chapter 3. And now in chapter 4, Jonah is angry. You feel the hypocrisy in that? We think about the mercy of God, this Hebrew word. Um, it's a description of like tender affection. It's not just, will you forgive me? Yes, I forgive you. The slate's clean. It's like, I'll, I'll handle you softly. Like, I'll, I'll handle you appropriately, you know, like, like, like a baby bunny. I don't know, I'm trying to think, like a little puppy. Like, will you handle something gently? That's the idea of mercy here. The Lord handles us gently. Slow to anger. We know from the scriptures that he does not delight in punishing the wicked and abounding in love. And this is really important. So the Hebrew understanding of love here, hesed love, is a loving kindness. It's this kind version of love. God is not just loving, specifically, he's kind. You see that all over the story of Jonah, don't you? Super kind. Tracks Jonah down in the bottom of the boat and takes over the weather and takes over the rolling of the dice and kind of takes over the scenario. Jonah wanted to die graciously like sovereignly like causes this fish to swallow Jonah keep him alive and spit him back out close enough to the bank that he could swim like that's a gracious God comes to him in chapter three a second time he's kind 
But will he be kind to the Ninevites? This nation, this culture, this, this city of, of just evil. In chapter 3, God relents and shows them kindness as well. We get to chapter 4, and, and, and Jonah's angry. For me, I'm like, all right, God, it's time, man. Let him have it. Right? I mean, seriously, like, let him have it. And God doesn't let him have it. Instead, he continues to pour out kindness. This is the Hesed love of God. Verse 6. So here's what Jonah does. He went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under, uh, under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. So he's going to kind of find what's God going to do here. Now the Lord God appointed a plant. Again, God's sovereign hand causing something to happen. He made it cover up Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plan. Feel God's kindness there. Jonah's out here watching. Let's just find out what God's going to do. God already knows what he's going to do. He could have, you know, he could have been like, Jonah, enough, dude, go home. He doesn't. He meets Jonah where he's at, puts a shade over his head, provides comfort for him. Verse 7, but when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Now, notice how many times that theme comes up with Jonah, um, this desire to die truly wrestling with suicidal thoughts and we won't have time to appropriately unpack this but most of the people in this room looking at me right now can relate to the idea of struggling with suicidal thoughts most of you have statistically whether you've ever said that out loud to anybody or not you've been in a situation that was so painful so desperate so lonely so broken that you thought maybe that's the only way out of here Uh, I've been there as well Okay, this is where Jonah is. It tells us about the condition of his desperation. Like he's, he's in a position where he is just feels like there's no hope left. So the only thing left is just for me to die. And that's where he's at here. That's how angry he is. That's how, um, that's how sad he is. That's how distraught he is about what God has done. And so God does this miraculous thing, causes this plant to like spring up in the desert and create shade. And he's like, oh, it feels good. And then the very next day, the worm attacks the plant. The plant begins to wither. The east wind comes, the sun comes, it withers the plant. Now he's back out in the sun. Why would God do that? What's the point here? Is God finally fed up? Is God finally going, you know what? Never mind. I've been kind long enough. Verse 9 says this, uh, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? That's the second time God's asked that question, right? Remember about Nineveh. Do you do well to do angry? Is this, is this the right move for you, Jonah? Is this, is this, does this bring you to a pace of, of peace? Does it help you in any way? And so now God's going to use the parallel here to teach Jonah a lesson. So whatever was going on towards Nineveh, he's now feeling it towards the plant. 
do you do well to be angry, angry enough to die? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, you did not make it grow, which came into being in the, might, in the night and perished in the night. This is God in verse 10 just saying, Jonah, you've witnessed what my sovereign hand does. You didn't make the plant grow. You didn't make it die. Now, whatever that means for the plant, now let's apply that to Nineveh. Verse 11, he says, And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and they have also have much cattle. So it's, it's kind of a strange comparison at first. Same emotions, right? Jonah's still angry, wants to die, in the same way he was angry and wanted to die over Nineveh. What does God mean here? What's he showing him here? And what he's doing, I think, is clearly he's exposing his hypocrisy, right? I mean, we think about the story of Jonah. Think about this for just a minute. What God's doing in this story is what God does in the Bible. I, I think a good parallel to this would be the parable of the prodigal son and the loving father. You remember the story? You got God represented as this loving father who has two sons. One is obedient and faithful and responsible. The other one, right, irresponsible. He comes and he gets his inheritance early and goes out and squanders his wealth and comes back to the father hoping that God would, or the father would show mercy towards him and just maybe give him a job. But that's not what the dad does. He runs out, grabs him, embraces him, welcomes him back in as a son, gives him a robe, gives him a ring, restores him completely. We read that parable and go, wait a second, what's going on here? Well, God is the loving father and the one who runs in disobedience is the prodigal son. But then you have the self-righteous brother who's super angry why is he angry because the father's being kind to the little brother you see that here in the story and here's the here's the hypocrisy who actually ran in the story jonah did now this is important for all of us if you lay that out before jonah jonah would probably go oh, okay i see how i'm the older brother who stayed see how he'd miss it Listen, we miss it too. We miss it too. Jonah willingly and preemptively took advantage of the Lord's kindness. I knew that's the kind of God you were, so I ran. I knew you would be kind to me, God. And now here he is in the story, and he's like, I don't know why you would be kind to them, God. They weren't like me, the faithful one. And so what God does with this plan is he creates this moment of like comfort and peace and, and protection for Jonah out of his kindness. And Jonah's like, oh, thank you for the shade. Whew. And the next day it's gone and he's angry. And what's God teaching him here? Jonah, you're upset about a plant. It's a stinking plant. It's a big piece of celery with leaves and like, and that's got you upset that you want to die. There's 120,000 people in Nineveh, Jonah. That's what I have my eyes set on. That's what I have my heart set on. Jonah, you're the prodigal who ran. I came to you a second time. I didn't give up on you. 
and it's my sovereign choice to not give up on them. There's a couple things I want to work through here as we think about wrapping up the story of Jonah. First of all, there's a big misunderstanding we, when we begin to think of that the God of the Old Testament is the angry God and the God of the New Testament is, this, is the sweet, kind God and somehow there's two different gods. There's one God. God is faithful, just, loving, and kind, slow to anger in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's where for some of us the misunderstanding comes. We, we misunderstand the difference between justice and revenge. There's a difference. Revenge happens when, 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 a, when a harm has been issued and there's, there's a sense of like retribution and a sense of like, I'm gonna pay you back and I'm gonna get you back and I may even like do more to you than you did to me, revenge. Justice doesn't work that way. I'm just trying to think of like a simple illustration of justice would be this. If you walk up to my truck with a baseball bat and you hit it and shatter the glass, call the police, the police come. They're like, hey, did you do this? We caught you on camera. And you're like, yeah, it was me. Okay, busted. The police were like, well, okay, won't you go get it fixed and tell me how much it costs? And I go get it fixed and I have to pay $300 for a new window and $50 to get the glass clean out of my, my truck is 350 bucks. So the police officer says, well, you, you're the one that broke the window, so you have to pay him $350. See, that's not, a pun, that's not, not revenge. That's making it right. Okay? God is not a revengeful God. He's a just God. You can't have love without justice. We won't break that down in this sermon today, but you can't have love without justice. So think about the window illustration. Think about all the laws that, that, that we've broken of God and what it would look like to pay that back. <laughs> I'm in debt. You're in debt. Matter of fact, so much debt that you couldn't pay it back in like 500,000 lifetimes. That's how much debt we owe so then what becomes then of the justice? Please don't miss this. This is what the cross is about. The cross was brutal. It was painful. It was bloody. It was ugly. It was torturous. Here's how it works. Here's how God's justice works. When Jonah, about to drown and die, calls out to God and says, God, will you rescue me? And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you kindness and I'm going to rescue you. What happens to then his justice? Don't miss this. He pours it out on Jesus. When the sailors who were pagan sailors didn't even know God began to cry out for God and his mercy. And they're like, we don't even know this God, but, but we want mercy. We need him to, to save us and rescue us. And God causes the, the, the seas to calm and they become believers in the one true God. What happens to the justice that all those pagan sailors are due? God looks forward in time and he pours it out on Jesus. Get to the Ninevites. I've already described for you their culture, this ethos of cruelty and, and, and murder and wickedness. And I, I, I might even ask with Jonah, God, God, really? How could you be kind to them? How could you forgive them? How could you relent towards them? And God says, here's how. I'm going to pour out the justice that they deserve on my son Jesus. And when I do that, I get to choose whom I want to have mercy on. My son's going to pay the price. 
You broke the window. He's paying for it. And so it's my sovereign choice to have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Why? Because my justice and my wrath will be poured out on my son. End of the conversation. End of the conversation, Jonah. You're worried about your own comfort. You're worried about this plant. There's 120,000 people in that city. I get to choose to be kind to them. Did you see what they did, Jonah, whenever you preached? What did they do? They humbled themselves. They fasted. They prayed for forgiveness and that God would relent. And God says, I get to step forward and relent and be kind to them. There's some things I want to point out about the story of Jonah that I don't want us to, to miss in walking away. Just some, maybe some helpful things for us. You notice the emotions of fear and anger and shame just over and over again in this story? You see that just recurring over and over and over again. Jonah's afraid, he flees, he's got shame, he's hiding, and he gets angry. It's like this cycle. Just some help for you, maybe. When we disobey God, and what comes from that is the idea of guilt, I've done something wrong, and shame, I don't measure up. Okay, and that's, that's an accurate response to disobeying God. We talked about what happens when shame begins to write our story. We begin to run from God, get away from his presence. Fear begins to set in. I'm afraid of what God will do if he finds me, if he catches me. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Maybe this would be helpful. When you feel that, that shame and that fear when you've disobeyed God, you, re you really have two options, okay? When you feel that, if you'll begin to lean towards faith, here's what will happen for you. You'll begin to see God as he is. You feel that fear and shame that wants to cause you to run. Instead of running, if you'll lean towards faith, you'll begin to see God clearly who he is, that he is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and that'll cause you to seek shelter in his presence instead of running from him you'll run to him but don't catch this one because this is where most of us fall into the trap when your fear does not lean towards faith when it doesn't lead you towards faith it's going to begin to do this it's going to begin to lead you towards anxiety and control and that is what most of us are familiar with that's different from faith fear and control and when that quits working guess what happens all outrage so we're seeing in Jonah's life here and I think that pattern repeats in our lives far too often when it comes to disobeying the Lord and we feel that shame we feel that guilt and instead of like stepping towards the Lord trusting that he's kind and slow to anger we run from him in shame and then we begin to hide and try to control and try to manage and anxiety sets in and whenever that quits working only thing I have left is just anger and rage. It's an important lesson we're learning here from Jonah. I mentioned a few weeks ago, by the end of chapter 2, there were, I think, eight miracles. I counted 12 in the whole story. I just want to recount those for you real quick. Just four short chapters. Here's an account of the miracles. Number one, God caused a violent storm. That's in Jonah 1.4. And then God caused the lot to fall on Jonah, Jonah 1.7. God calmed the sea when Jonah was thrown overboard. That was in Jonah 
God awakened the pagan sailors to his kindness after the repentance. That was the end of chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 16. Then God commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. That was the last verse in chapter 1, verse 17. Then God uh, caused the fish uh, to throw Jonah up on the dry land. That was in chapter 2. God melted the disobedient prophet's heart and called him back to himself. That, that occurred in that whole chapter as Jonah's there and he's falling, sinking in the water. Beginning at chapter 3, God restored Jonah's calling to preach to the Ninevites. He called him a second time, which was a miracle. God relented from his plan to destroy the Ninevites and, uh, and instead responded to loving kindness. That was Jonah 3.10. And then today we see God cause this plant to grow miraculously. Then he caused the worm to attack the plant. Then he caused the wind to blow and wither the plant in the sun. See how God is just sovereign over all these details and all these miracles are happening. It's not typically how we look for miracles. But the miracle was that God was, he was, he was coming after people. And in, 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 in what, to what end? That he might pour out his kindness. Like that's miraculous. You sitting here today is a miracle. You're still alive today. For most of us, that's a miracle. Your heart's still open to hear from the Lord and potentially repent and turn back to him. That's a miracle. There's somebody sitting here today that didn't want to come to church today. And you're here. It's a miracle. <laughs> I heard that, Evan. Right? These are the miracles of God. To what end? That we might turn, that one might repent and turn back to him. Lean back in faith towards him and see him for who he is. To seek shelter and to receive his kindness. We're going to learn lessons from Jonah. Here they are, Jonah. The story of Jonah is not about God, it's about Jonah. Focusing on our own comfort leads to disobedience. Disobedience leads to shame. And when we allow shame to write our story, here's what happens. Just like Jonah, we willingly spend all of our energy and resources running and hiding from God and his people. God's invitation to repent is an expression of his kindness. This is not mean, grumpy God. This is kind, soft, compassionate, merciful God. And God intervenes in our lives when we run from him to lead us to repentance and back to himself. God responds with mercy and compassion when we repent and salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah didn't author any of this. Matter of fact, he's doing everything he can to take this story off the rails. We don't author our own salvation, God does. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So I want to land here um, and just ask some questions that, that allow us to reflect on God's word and what he may be speaking to you today. And uh, When I get done, I'm going to pray, and then our, our worship team is going to come up. Um, our prayer partners will be available. Um, the way you know who they are, they come down to the front and stand on the sides. Um, that's not the security team. Those aren't the bouncers. These are our prayer warriors. And they're here so you can see who they are, so you know who they are. They're here to say, hey, come, come talk to me. I want to pray for you. So if you want somebody to pray with you today, come grab one of our prayer partners. Um, if you've got questions about the church or maybe something God's speaking to you, um, our elders will be out in the commons area, and we ask them to like, just put on a lanyard so you can go, okay, I'm new here. I don't know, I don't know who an elder is. You go, oh, that guy has a lanyard on. You can go up and talk. We're, like, we're, we're here, and we want to talk to you. I want to pray with you. I want to answer questions. Um, I'm going to read these questions. I'm going to pray. I'm going to respond. You think about your own story for a minute. This story is titled Jonah. 
Take Jonah's name out, put yours in there. What would your story look like? How has disobedience, shame, fear, and anger shaped your story? What would your version of this sound like? I'm going to ask you to be slow to answer this next question. Do you believe that God is slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness towards you? I know what the right answer is. I don't need that. I'm asking, what do you believe? And if you aren't sure, look at which direction you're running. Are you running toward him or away from him? As we think about it today, can you begin to think about and see the miracles that God is working out in your story in order to lead you into a relationship with him? Oh, those weren't the kind of miracles I was looking for. Yes, I can see God's hand working and moving and guiding. What can you repent of this morning in order to experience God's kindness? What's going on in your heart? If you were going to get to the real place, like the real, real place, the source of the shame and guilt, what could you repent of this morning? And I'm not asking you to come tell me. I'm not your priest. Jesus is your priest. I'll pray with you, but I'm not, I'm not your priest. But what could you repent of this morning in order to experiencing the loving kindness of God? I'm going to pray for us now. And Father, thank you for the story of Jonah. And just like the story of the prodigal son, um, it would be better titled um, The Story of the God Who is Kind and Slow to Anger. Um, Father, really, the story is about you. And um, God, I know that this room right here, and even probably those listening at home or later in the week, like this room is filled with Jonas, <laughs> and I am one. And Father, we know that we need to stop running. Father, we need to turn. We need to head back your direction and test and see and find what kind of God you are. Father, I'm praying right now that you would just drench this room in faith. Drench our hearts in faith. God, where we want to run and hide, would you ignite faith and turn us back towards yourself? That we would see you as you are and we would trust you enough to run. God, into your presence instead of away from it. God, like Nineveh, we could experience your Hesed love this morning. God, if anybody here today is not, does not know you and they don't know how to get to you, they don't know how to have a relationship with you, God, Father, would you lead that person to grab one of our prayer partners and just, just ask for help and prayer. And God, help us to walk out of here today drenched in faith, drenched in your loving kindness. God, all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.